everybody and welcome to the Maya Minds podcast. I'm your host George and here at Maya Minds we want to demystify mental health and make sharing mainstream within the exercising and sporting community. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Just before we get started, I want to remind you that here on the My Minds podcast, we do often talk about eating disorders, body dysmorphia, exercise addiction, suicide, and other potentially triggering topics. Usually in the description below, I will write down what we talk about specifically in this episode. That being said, I do hope you enjoy this, but please do be careful. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Well, as you know, it's... <laughs> We're recording this at the end of a Monday and yeah. I've had one of those days where I feel like I can't decide whether email is a great creation or absolutely tyrannical because <laughs> about every 10 seconds, the little envelope symbol at the bottom of my screen has been popping up oh, and I no. keep seeing it and just thinking, oh, can you stop? <laughs> for a while but it never does yeah, um, do, do, does your I'm presuming by that you're saying that you also get the kind of email anxiety of like having to answer everything because yeah I, yeah and, and and someone did say to me before you are your own worst enemy because the more you reply the more people know you'll reply so the more they'll keep emailing you back mm. but I've never quite been able to step away so it is at least partly of my own doing. And I know that. Um, yeah. Because yeah. I, I get stressed with the amount of emails I get. And I it's probably nothing. You'd probably be like laughing at the amount I get because there's nothing <laughs> compared to what you must get. Um, but my, my thing is just I, I have, as soon as it pops up, my gut is like, you have to reply to that now. Mm-hmm. And I'm, get, I'm getting much better at leaving them. And I think to be honest with you, it's more that um, now that I've gotten busier, I'm forced to have to leave them, um, which helps definitely. Uh, mm. But yeah, like, do you have any advice for me in regards to in regards to that? You're a very conscientious person, George, from my from my interactions with you. So short of telling you to, <laughs> to become despicable and not care, I think um, lots of people have suggested to me the thing about only um, open your inbox twice a day have like a designated time you reply then and if you really stick to it people do get used to it Mm. I guess I'm in a job where I don't have that luxury because you you can't do that but if you're in a position to do it I think that is a handy thing you just have to see it through the uncomfortable bit in your stomach where you're like oh (laughs) but what if but what if and recognize yeah yeah none of it is really so urgent that if it waits until 9am tomorrow it's going to be an issue Mm. Yeah. And it's, it, yeah, I think I've also been fortunate that the app on my phone for emails has decided to not work for the last couple of months. Um, in the fact that I can, I can see the emails, but it won't let me reply. Like if I just press the reply button, it just doesn't work for some reason. So that's kind of been a godsend because it's kind of yeah. to just reading it and leaving it until I'm next on my laptop. So that's been, that's definitely been useful. Um, but anyway, uh, we've, we've sidetracked onto email talk, but, um, 
I you sidetracked to... before we got started, George. Yeah, that's I know. A it's a good sign. You'll <laughs> get starting strong. Uh, I think that's the, the classic way with the My Ones podcast. I, I don't know. I just get, yeah, I get interested in little things and I go off on one. But um, I brought you on today or, or actually you you emailed me, which is like, I, I, would, I can't, I, I hope you don't mind me sharing this, but I, I was insane like i do get the occasional email or message from people saying that they're a fan and they listen and and things but when i got you emailed me saying how you know you really enjoy the podcast and you've even told some of your patients about it and yeah i was so honored that that you did i, I guess my 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 question um is and maybe this is a bit selfish so i apologize to the listeners already but how did you how did you hear about the podcast oh gosh um that is a question that I can't even give you uh, an answer to off the top of my head. I think I listen to a lot of podcasts anyway and do quite a bit of searching around. And I can't remember whether you were a guest on another podcast that I listened to at some point uh, or I heard maybe. you mentioned on another podcast and that might be the link. Um, and you know, it's, it's like everything we do these days. Someone points you in the direction of this and you go, oh, OK, uh, and then follow <laughs> it along. Um, so. So, yeah. And, and that was, oh, gosh, months and months ago. Um, and there's a good number of eating disorder related and some exercise related podcasts out there, some of which you try and think that's not my bag some of which with my clinicians hat on I listen to and go I am not recommending this signposting anyone towards this <laughs> in fact the exact opposite but um I did I do like what you're doing because it it sort of there, there's a lot of very pro exercise very pro working out mm. podcasts out there which is fine and, and they can do their thing uh, there hasn't really been much that I've come across that is conversational um, but but highlighting a, a sort of more increasingly recognised issue around exercise, and but also just has an adult discussion about it. Um, and I think things that are very dichotomous about exercise or diet or anything like that just aren't helpful because life isn't like that. Um, so so yeah, so I somehow located you, but um, the the flattery was very genuine um you know I do think you are doing a really good job with the podcast so uh I am very honored to be here oh well I, I appreciate that's that I can tick off the um bigging up the podcast um mark so then we can move on from here uh, but yeah but I really you didn't do pay me for that bit or anything it just happened no, no um <laughs> definitely did not pay you um wink no um but yeah the um yeah, thank you so much for that. And honestly, it did it meant so much. I think I've actually got the email like favorited on my emails oh, <laughs> so that gosh. I can find it. Um, so yeah, I'd really do appreciate that. But anyway, um, yeah, one of the things I've, we've we've kind of alluded to already that I wanted to speak to you about on the podcast is um, kind of issues around exercise. It's something we talk about quite often on this podcast, and um, your experience as a clinical psychologist in the eating disorder service. Um, and also your lived experience um, with these kind of issues. Mm. Um, and that, I suppose that's something that isn't always the case with clinicians who work in the, the field. Yeah. So I guess my, my first question or the thing I'd like to ask you is, could you share a little bit about your own experience? And, and then I suppose following from that, how do you think that's affected the way that you are as a clinician? Yeah, 
okay and you just wave at me frantically and I'm just rambling on because because I, I there's a lot to talk about and I could ramble on all day um we love a ramble. I um I've got a fairly long uh history of problems with eating disorders of various guises um which I have talked about elsewhere on uh, another podcast um and that's been um for the best part of my adult life and some of my teenage life as well um and I've had phases of being anorexic um phases of bulimia where my sort of um compensation was around exercise um and odd phases of things that wouldn't fit in any nice diagnostic box because I'm human and you know things don't always align with with scientific checklists or whatever they might be Mm. um I've also had a pretty um challenged relationship with exercise um as a, a child and as a teenager, you know, I'm not a sporty person. I don't come from a sporty family. I haven't had any sporty pressures whatsoever. Um, I can roughly coordinate hand and eye, but not in a way that would get me picked for any kind of sports team. Um, and as a student, uh, and I find this really weird to look back on now, um, I was remarkably unhealthy even by student standards um so I and I would have had at that time and different environment at that time um zero idea or concept about going to a gym or anything like that just not even a thing in my life uh which which was slightly more measured out in pints and cigarettes and um being very much in a binge eating phase at that point in my life so Exercise really wasn't a thing in my life at all until I was probably in my mid twenties. And, um, I moved, um, at that time, it was when I was doing my clinical training and I moved into a house show with a lovely person. Uh, we got on really well and she had, um, some issues herself around exercise and going to the gym but it also then started getting me interested in the idea of going to the gym. Mm-hmm. And it sort of started from there. Um, and she was also a person who had a, on our fridge, I remember these three bits of A4 paper with a long list of things that Weight Watchers would allow you to eat without feeling like you were sinful, um, which, which at the time I just found bizarre. Um, <laughs> But it's funny how these little things, because you see them day in and day out, start to get in your head. So being around a person who's engaging in quite a lot of exercise and in quite a bit of dieting um, started to to take a bit of a hold and and perhaps started to tick in with some of my teenage anorexic thoughts. And and that started coming up Mm -hmm. during the three years of my training. it it just gradually snowballed and um, my eating became quite restrictive, but I started doing much more around exercise and really got into running and ended up doing the sort of really 
um, like half marathony, long distancey kind of stuff, um, purely to spend as much time as possible exercising or doing something. Mm. Um, and this this sort of pattern of doing a lot of cardio work was then added to by going to a gym where there's probably like a little group of us who all got to know each other, who went to um, exercise classes called delightful things like body attack that yeah. might <laughs> give you a feeling of what's going on here. Hmm. And, um, you know, come and exhaust yourself for 45 minutes. All right. Uh, I'm, I'm game for that because that totally fits now with my worldview about what exercise is and what mm. I would do with it. Um, now this went on for, for quite a long time. So I had the, you know, um, probably all told about eight to 10 years of like really restrictive eating and doing not huge amount because I didn't have the energy to, but being very anxious about making sure to get to the gym every day to do a chunk of cardio exercise. And it was very much about a certain period of time and kind of adhering to that and feeling very distressed, um, irritable, quite horrible to be around if I couldn't do that. Mm. So exercise had kind of wound its way in to, to being something not, not for good, um, but something that felt very, that I was very much dependent on. Mm. Just, um, I'm sorry, sorry to butt yeah. in, but um, I'm just interested because obviously you had your, um, your experience with an eating disorder beforehand and you you're going through your clinical training so you obviously have a good underpinning of eating disorders yep. and psychology and this was happening do you think do you think you were aware of it this this kind of issue developing at the at the time or do you think it was just slipped under the radar i think the it's only the very first bits of it i think that were under the radar mm -hmm. um once once it had got past a certain point uh, particularly with kind of restrictive eating disorders, they require so much thought and planning and attention and being on your mind all the time that it, it, it would seem very, very difficult for it not to be something that you're conscious of at that mm. point, you know, yeah. past a certain point. It's all of you conscious in a way. Mm. Um, and that's that's all you're kind of thinking about but I suppose, I suppose, um, I suppose the uh, more what I, what I, I mean is do you, do you think you were I do you think you were conscious of the fact that it was becoming a, a problem like we did did you foresee it being a challenge in the future and you were kind of creating a challenge for yourself but you were just like oh it'll be fine like I'll just put it off it'll be all right or like you know, did I suppose you were, you were definitely conscious of the fact that exercise was taking over your life. I understand that, but do, were you aware that that was going to be a problem? No, in the sense that I think everything was very much around the structure of a day. Mm. And it was about kind of getting through what quote unquote had to be done that day. And it wasn't really, it was about guarding a certain weight and keeping hold of that rather than looking beyond that mm. and and so there really wasn't much kind of future orientation mm. um or or thinking i i suspect there were probably bits in the back of my mind because 
yes, I was doing clinical training. Also, just being logical about it, going, there's potentially problems down the road with this, or you, you can't do this literally forever. There's, there's going to be a problem with that. But the, the amount of anxiety about changing things on a day-to-day basis just kept it very stuck where it was. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. It does. I, I suppose the reason I was asking is because I, I think often um, people, the problems with exercise come and it's not, it's not, it's kind of, the exercise kind of gets slipped under because there's all other issues that we're attaching to. So like for me, it was, you know, even though I wasn't aware of it really, for me, it was about being masculine, like portraying some form of masculinity because I work really hard in the gym and I can lift weights and I can, mm-hmm. and I think that, yeah. that that was a big part of it for me. So the exercise was just kind of, I didn't even focus on the fact that I was doing exercise. It was more just like who I am. Like I was portraying being masculine and, and just exercise was a part of that. And it became yeah. a really integral part of it for me. So I was I guess I was I was interested if someone who's aware of like dependency and aware of like the addictive mindsets of things if you would be the same in the sense that it would slip under or if you would be like this is definitely an addiction this is something that I've studied that's happening to me um or if it was kind of masked under some kind of emotional turmoil but it sounds like it was still that emotion emotional stuff like masking it there was this idea of you have to be productive or you have to like get this you have to get the day done um that was the face of it maybe or am I wrong maybe no I don't think you're wrong I've I haven't really thought about it in quite that way I I think probably in terms of concern the the eating or lack thereof was probably dominant over the the exercise bit and um I I, I wouldn't want to speak for other people around me and what they made of that um but I I would say the the problems I was having with eating at the time were um far more prominent in my mind yeah than than the issues around exercise um so but I'm not I'm not sure that it it snuck up on me. I think it's it's a bit more complicated question, which I'm sure we're gonna get into around our whole belief systems about exercise and and its its good sides and its bad sides and how to make sense of, of that. Um so so yeah, maybe it was a little bit more under the radar than other things. Mm. I think would be the answer to that. Yeah. And, and yeah, as you say, I, I want to kind of, I, says, I want to get into some form of a philosophical debate about <laughs> the way we oh, perceive we'll it. So. <laughs> the only thing I'm worried about is whether I'll be able to keep up with you, but I'll do my best. Um, <laughs> I, I don't doubt that you will. Um, uh, but yeah, so, so, so you were kind of in your clinical training and it became this huge part of your life. And then I cut you off. Yeah. So, so this, and then, so this was post-clinical training as well. This went on for, for quite a long time. Um, and Things, things came to a point um, where the, the eating side of things had then shifted more into a like restrict binge, restrict binge kind of pattern. Um, and I think to, to some degree, I got into um, slightly better territory in terms of my weight and general health around my eating, it was still disordered as all hell, 
but uh, I was at least eating more than I had been. Um, but, and, and that kind of pattern sort of continued for a bit. Um, but what was happening alongside that um, was that my amount of exercise was going up and up and up. Um, so I'm sort of fast forwarding through quite a bit here, or we will be here for a very long time. Um, I, I got to a point where I was um, very, very much in a stage of bulimia where I had quite a controlled pattern of what I ate during the day. Um, and then like quite a lot of people with eating disorders, um, I would kind of save up nice food for the evening for when I'd done my day. And that was my, my like time. Uh, and it was always kind of or predominantly really sweet food and mostly ice cream. Um, and that was my, that was my bag, but to get that at the end of the day, um, required me to do five hours in the gym. Mm. That was the deal. And this is at a time when I am in full-time employment and, and, you know, I have a life or I tried to have a life around that as well. And the gym kind of environment for me, it just gradually crept up and crept up and crept up and crept up. And coming back to, to what you were saying earlier about that kind of, were you thinking about the future and were you working this out? Um, I would go through that with having injuries and with just going, I'm just playing up, I'm just doing it. Um, because isn't that what other people in the gym do? You know, you've got a bit of pain, you just keep going with it. And that's all part of it. It's and not even just I, part of it. It's like you're up in the hierarchy if you do that. You're better. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and people, you know, if people did make any comments to me in the gym, it would always be things like, oh, I don't know how you keep going and, and all of these kind of things, which is and, – and I would hear them and be really uncomfortable with it, but a part of me would be like, yeah, I can do that. Um, what ended up, I, I'd said to, to my other, my long suffering of the half um, quite a few times, you know, it's going to take something really abrupt to stop me. And, and I can't find a way to do this in a graded way to get out of it. And that is exactly what happened. So um, uh, my calves, one day I'd, I'd done some, I used to do almost all of my exercise like in the morning and it would be done. Um, and I might do some throughout the day. And one day I was sat at my desk and my calves started um, almost pulsating just on their own while I was sat at the desk. And it felt like if you've ever seen kind of Popeye or the Hulk, the moment when their body transforms and their muscles grow massive and like push out of everything, that's what was happening in my calves, just sat there. And this kind of went on and on. So this would happen for hours, just sat. And it got to the point where I couldn't sleep properly because I would lie down at night and it was going on. The only time when it, it didn't feel bad was when I was exercising, which still 
I can't believe how stupid I was, gave me, I thought, the it's okay to keep doing that. It's nothing to do with what's going on with your legs. What's going on with your legs is something to do with something in your diet or something to do with something that you drink. And maybe it's caffeine that's doing it or any myriad of other explanations for this other than the blindingly obvious one. And this, I mean, this is the amazing thing about getting into any kind of dependency thing. You look back at it and you can recognize where your brain was at at that time, but you also, with your logical mind, go, what? Mm. What were you doing? Um, and lo and behold, this all wound up ending up in A&E going, I, I can't walk. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and at, at A&E, we had a, a long chat about what was going on with just massively overdoing it with exercise. And, and there comes a point where all your nerve firing gets completely out of whack and and your you you need to like you need to stop yeah yeah you need to stop um having spent all night in a and e to to get the message that i needed to stop i got home at some ridiculous hour of the morning um and very shortly afterwards went to the gym to use my arms instead Mm. and even though all of this had happened it still then took and and continues to take for me kind of mentally a very long time to wind that back in because you've just got so dependent on it and a lot of your self-esteem rests on it you don't know what to do with five hours of your day that you used to spend doing that and you recognize that at least part of those five hours a day was largely uh, because of avoiding other things or, or avoiding sitting with your anxiety. Mm. And, and just to be hit with it in one go was hugely discombobulating and distressing. But it was also the moment of now, now I'm thinking about the question about the future. Because mm. now I think this is awful, but... I've been to a and &E, I've had this message and I don't know. And, and they don't really know. Am I going to really walk properly again? Mm. Like, are there going to be sustained forms of exercise I can do at all? And I've got to come to terms with that and think about if I can't do any of this at all again, what am I doing with myself? Mm. And, and what is my life going to look like? Um, and the, you know, there was, it took, it took about a year to, to get to a point where I wasn't really conscious of my legs feeling weird all the time. Um, and, the, and, and some like really strange things that we got. I wouldn't be able to tell if I was getting a feeling of something outside my leg or if it was a feeling inside my leg. Like Ooh, I, okay. I, I couldn't. So... Yeah, all sorts of really strange things <laughs> happened. Um, I had a shed load of physiotherapy, um, which cost an absolute fortune. Mm. Um, I am endlessly grateful to my physio because I'm not sure where I would be without all of that. But, but there were real like stark messages about, you know, 
like life is not about this and and if it is you you no longer have the ability to experience it like that anyway like you, you can't do it anymore yeah um, but these are the tremendous costs that you've paid and you can't do things like go for a nice walk with your mates or, or even walk down to the local without that being a 20 minute struggle mm. to to get three minutes out your house you know and you've these are conscious decisions you're taking and if exercise is supposed to be something healthy and beneficial this is clearly not healthy and beneficial so you've really got to stop and take stock of that and reappraise it and work out if you are going to be lucky enough to be able to get back to that what you're going to do with it my point of kind of getting roughly back to being healthy again was not too far off the the beginning of lockdown which obviously threw a lot of people out anyway and and it was I probably dealt much better with lockdown uh because I'd just gone through all of that and I was like well actually I've had to go through a massive period of adaptation and and I think I can get on board with doing that but those two things together have really made me rethink my relationship with exercise, its function in my life. But I recognise there are lots of things that I that I do like as a non-sporty person about being able to exercise in the gym. And I also know that I'm of a certain age where there's stuff I can't do anymore because of my legs, there's stuff I can't do anymore. Yeah. But there are things I can do and I can do them in an amount that's good, I know for me, I still have the tendency to then want to go further. Mm. And the responsibility for that ultimately has to lie with me and me working out within my life. If that tendency is coming in for me, you know, what's that all about? And is that about my esteem feels wobbly somewhere else and I'm trying to write that ship in mm-hmm. which case go and spend some time working that out or you know you go through a phase in your life maybe where other stuff is stressful and you don't have the brain space to go well instead of going to do exercise I'm gonna go and join a new group or go to the cinema or because it's lockdown there's nothing else I can do <laughs> so the only thing I can do is pick up this heavy object over my head and put it down and grunt that's it that's all I've got and and it's it's about actually saying no there are other things you can do in mm. your life than just doing that um that that can ultimately help you to feel a more rounded person and feel all right with yourself um and and you can't just rely on exercise to to do that for you Mm. so it's it's still an ongoing thing um but it's in a far healthier place I'm much more partly because of having such an injury mindful of and nicely responsible for if my body doesn't feel okay I won't just ignore that, push through it, whatever. I will think really carefully about taking care of it uh, because I haven't done that. And, and I feel really lucky that, that I have been able to recover as I have, but I'm not going to muck that up again. Um, so I think it's it's been a strange old journey and it's an ongoing journey. Um, and 
hopefully kind of illustrates that there there are ways to work yourself out of a tricky or tangled up situation with exercise into a better position it's not it's not just a a one-way road and and then everything has to fall apart um i hope it's also you know you don't want to stand up and, and preach to other people's experience but that it's hopefully in some ways a bit of a of a lesson or an example about you, you know you might you might get lucky and be able to do lots of exercise but you might not be able to and you you can put a lot of other bits of your life at risk if if you kind of push it too far when when you know you're pushing it too far mm. um, and and so yeah i think as as we sort of thought about i hope that, that there's something useful in kind of sharing all of that um and and also in kind of you know just the normality of it i'm just a normal person i'm not i'm not a sports person in the slightest um but there are probably lots of other people leading quote unquote normal lives that that have got really tangled up relationships with exercise and and you know it's not something that's um having having problems with exercise isn't just uh confined to the sporting elite it, it can affect anyone um yeah. and it, you know uh as as you well know yourself george yeah um, and yeah and i i i suppose i was I wanted to touch in on it. First of all, just say thank you for, for sharing all that. And I do think it helps people. You know, we we know that hearing other people's stories help kind of give us, um, I suppose, a sense of um, acceptance that what we what we go through is normal. Like it, it helps me every time I bring, get someone on like yourself who's been some, through something similar to what I've been through. It's another moment of like, oh, you know, Sarah's doing really well. Sarah, I like Sarah and she's been through all this stuff. So therefore maybe I can like myself a bit more because, you know, we have yes. the same, the same thing. Um, yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it is really hard. And uh, yeah, I, 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 you kind of, you mentioned before how, um, you know, in this, in this podcast i often try and steer away from that kind of like dichotomous of like it's good or it's bad yeah um and it's it's so like whenever i hear people's stories and like hearing your story it's so interesting like you know the way you you refer to like a good amount of exercise and and like you know it it's great if you can do loads of exercise and stuff because there is like exercise is great um, but then we also mash that with the fact that you know all these problems came from you and I, as you, you didn't touch um, as much on the like social um, and psychological things that happened. I know you mentioned your physiological stuff. Yeah. Um, what was there? Was there that kind of you know? Did it affect your your? I imagine it must have affect your job and and your kind of relationships and things. Oh yeah, massively. And um, I. <laughs> <laughs> I totally take my hat off to anyone who's who's been my friend, uh, family member, and obviously my husband through any of this period, because um, you're hugely self-centered when you're trying to do all of these things and cram them in. Even if that's not who you are as a character, you know, you've you're totally controlling <laughs> and dictatorial about your time and what you're doing. Um, you're not very open and flexible in your thinking. You can be a good listener, but probably nowhere near as attentive as you might be if half your brain wasn't thinking about, I've got to do X and Y and, yeah. and all the other thoughts that come in. 
So socially, massively. Psychologically, um, it's hugely distracting. It made me, I'm, I, am, I am by nature quite a like hasty and reactive person. Mm. It just upped that through the roof. Um, and I mean, I'm right. I'm going to share a story now that I'm genuinely really ashamed of, but, but let's do it. Um, this, when my exercise addiction was at its worst, um, oh, I used addiction there. I'm never sure if addiction is the right word or not. That's a different debate. Um, when my exercise dependency was at its worst, I had one day where um, I'd done four hours in the gym in the morning. Uh, I'd been working, I'd been working at home. Um, and then I knew I had to get my other hour in. So I had my lunch and then got in the car and got to the end of our road um, and, and ended up in, a, in an accident at the junction. And we did all the stuff that you do about sharing details and whatnot. I, it had written off my car. So I got my car back onto my road. In the accident, I'd also hit my head um, on the steering wheel of my car. I parked my car up. I checked that the road was clear. And then I thought, well, I, now I need to run to the gym. So then I ran to the gym. I did my hour of exercise. Then I came back and then I thought, right, now I need to call the insurance company. And I can't, like now sitting here, I, I, you know, I, I kind of want to hide under the desk and go, I, I can't believe I did that. But that's how much it possesses you psychologically. Mm. And it's, it's totally irrational. It's the kind of behaviour I find... Really, like really unsettling I, I wouldn't find that okay in myself in any of the circumstances and that's that's the kind of psychological power it it had and yeah. it can have and that that's such a good and thank you I know you said you were a bit ashamed of that but I really appreciate you sharing I don't think you need to be ashamed because I think that's a per, that's the perfect example I think um I've been having conversations with Hannah from the Full of Beans podcast I'm yeah, you have listened yeah. to Hannah yes um, I have indeed um, I've been having conversations with her recently about um, kind of exercise addiction, exercise dependency, what I thought we can get into that later. Um, and talking about how, um, you know, now that the conversation is happening more, I almost feel like, a, and I found myself some, somehow in that conversation of it, of it coming out, um, I feel some kind of uh, pressure to how to do it right. And I think I'm part of me is worried and, and one of the things that me and Hannah speak about is the the fact that I don't want it to be like eating disorders where we obsess so much on this really skinny person who does you know does all these extreme activities and then we ignore so many people's experiences um, yeah. so I think what's really important but at the same time I think it's really important to show the extremities because then you know people can we can get people to care um, so it's like getting that balance. And I think I think that's a that's like a perfect example. And I think the kind of conclusion I've come to, or and I tell me what you think of this, is I think it's 
we can show those extremities show that you know you're willing to exercise after a car crash but then highlight from that that the, the underpinning which affects everyone with it is that it, you are dependent on it it's it's not a yeah. it's not i want to do this or i love doing this or it's it's i have to do this and i have to do it so badly that i'll do it this you know x amount of times a day or i'll do it even after i've been hit by a car i'll do it yeah. after, you know and, and that's dimension isn't it it's mm. it's not it's not about amounts or about you know people with who who have exercise dependency or whatever have a certain amount of muscle or whatever it be it's not it isn't about that side it's about those things like if if you couldn't exercise today how would that affect you mm. and and if the answer to that is you know my anxiety would be through the roof i'd be very stressed i'd be thinking about what else to do to compensate for that that indicates that that's not, I'd be disappointed because I'm aiming towards a certain health goal, but it's a long game and I'll kind of get there eventually. Mm. Um, It's, it is, as you say, it's about that impact on you psychologically. And then the social side of it as well, you know, has this changed who you are in your social interactions is does exercise become something that you'll shove other things out the window for because that's the most important thing mm. even if in your heart you really care about your mates and whatever um or you know i i don't want to go to this social meal out tonight because getting to my workout in the morning is the most important thing and that's mm. going to get in the way so i'm not going to do it i think those as you say are the they're the more telling things about look where are you at with exercise and if it's if it's become problematic or not yeah, and that, that that leads me nicely onto my my next question. I wanted to to ask you is where do you think that line is? When does that? Because you know, I suppose even just given that some of those examples, you know, exercising instead of seeing friends, you, know, you could you could argue that some people are the term that often people use dedicated to their exercise goal and therefore won't go to a party or won't go out drinking because they want to be they want to be fit and healthy. Um, you know, where, where do you see that line? Um, and it is a really hard question, but yeah, where, where do you see that? I think there isn't a line to see. I think it's more a question of um, people's honesty with themselves about where exercise is or is not fitting into life. So I think I think there are a number of things to, to kind of consider. So one of them that we've just already flagged up is around that idea about the link between the presence and absence of exercise and someone's anxiety levels, you know, Mm -hmm. is exercise here being used to moderate anxiety and, or is the absence of exercise causing an excessive amount of anxiety and recognizing that probably indicates a problematic relationship with exercise in, in some way or another. Um, so do you think, sorry, sorry to put in, um, but do you think then, um, that I'm not going to say my point, I'll just see what you think. Um, do you think that, um, someone can use exercise as a way to help with their mental health? Like we're often, it's often portrayed in the media. It's a really good way to help with mental health, but as long as when you can't do it, you don't have like a serious, like life issue, then that's okay. Um, and and then well, I suppose where's that uh, again? I suppose it, there isn't a line. I suppose it's each person individually. But how can people tell when when it's a serious 
life stress and when is it just a little bit of stress because oh, I didn't get to exercise today? Exercise can be a really beneficial thing to people and it can be a stress relief. Uh, you get a load of endorphins, that feels great, or you achieve something that feels great. Or if you're much more in the like mindful flow of things and you can switch off or you can be away from your screen, which frankly, most of us are desperate to do at the moment. Yeah. All of that can be brilliant. And one thing I'm very clear about is not demonizing exercise. Exercise in itself is, is it's just a thing that's there that's part of life. The, the more problematic elements are the ways in which we frame what exercise is as a society and as a culture and about the way in which we engage with it. If you use exercise as a way to alleviate stress or manage emotions in life, that's understandable. It's probably more problematic if engaging with exercise is your only way to deal with stress and deal with emotions in life. Mm -hmm. So if you're avoiding confrontations, difficult situations, things in your actual emotional life by going and exercising, and that's leaving you stuck in relationships, that's probably not a great place to be in. Similarly, as in my case to a degree, putting all your eggs in one basket, if you like, like this is the only horse I'm backing to get me out of troubling situations. Mm. It's a choice. You can choose to do that. And everyone's free to kind of make these choices. It is just recognizing the limitations that that puts on you if that thing becomes inaccessible to you. So take lockdown as it happened. Can't go to the gym. I mean, how many people got thrown into an absolute tailspin yeah. by that happening and probably had to learn some different things to do to manage with that so I think it was shown by I like I know I know that like you um I don't know if you're familiar with Mike Trott's work with exercise addiction and stuff he's done some like epidemiological stuff um and yeah. he's he he estimates that around eight percent of gym goers have a clinical like the above the clinical threshold for um exercise addiction um his his kind of definition well, of exercise, say, how's he defining exercise yeah so his yeah. his definition of exercise addiction he does he refers to a, a debate in the paper that i'm thinking of of um what to term it and i haven't read too much into the debate so maybe you can tell me a bit more about that but um he goes with exercise addiction as the um encompassing both a dependency and and the compulsion to exercise right. so if you're both dependent on and you feel the compulsions yeah. yeah and that's an exercise addiction um, and yeah he estimates i think it's so it's eight it's like 8.1 percent of gym goers um five percent of uh university students and then 5.5 percent of um amateur athletes all um all seem to have some form of exercise addiction um, and i forget what my point was for that now um Was that about like coming back to the like managing with life kind of stuff? Because um, I'm really interested in that. That's, you know, again, it, it sort of do, we'd have to delve into like sample size and thinking about all of that. But if there is that, if the difference between gym goers and athletes is kind of statistically significant with that sort of 8% to 5.5%, it is quite interesting to think about well what's going on there mm. and and how much um 
the sort of gym environment, the presence of gyms in like our daily life mm. creates an opportunity for people to strike up that kind of relationship with it. You know, um, gyms are highly accessible. A lot of them are 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can go and do that. You don't have to be sporting or gifted mm. physically in any way, really, to, to be able to go and use a gym. And that can, I think, activate both sides of that kind of dependency, but com- compulsions as well. You know, if, if something is available and accessible, that only makes the compulsion more likely to develop because you mm. can go and do it. Yeah. So you will. And, and, and if, you know, as a gym is, it's really readily available, then that kind of just fuels that fire a bit more. Yeah. Especially with like 24 hour gyms. Cause that's, so I've, um, for people listening at home, I've just recently moved to London um, mm. and I'm now, I'm now in my London house and I have a 24 hour gym, like, like five minutes away from my house. And right. I've already like started kind of i think because i've gone I've, I've done so much work on myself over the past few years and especially during covid i've been seeing a counselor a lot um and it's always been like in this one house and now that i'm out of that environment i think uh like i'm feeling some of my my mind's wanting to fall back into the old old ways because i'm in a different environment mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and i've already found myself thinking about or maybe you know like just you know, I, I, like I went to the gym this morning, but I think in I think in a normal and, and healthy in a healthy manner. But I've already been considering like you know if I wanted to, I could go again on my my break, or I could go um yeah you know, I can go in the evenings, or if I ever wake up in the middle of night, oh I could just go for a quick gym session and that would be fun. And um, but then that you know then I'm like questioning you is that is it because it's fun or is it is it you know this other underpinning and I guess when it's happening in the middle of the night and it's going to affect the rest of my day then it probably is a problem um and it's also recognizing you know you've just uprooted you're somewhere new there's a lot of in a way I guess like space to fill and mm. and I think it you know it's a we all kind of like certainty and familiarity and and gyms you know they are what they say on the tin. And mm. once you join one and you know where everything is and you rock up and you know what you're going to do. And there's, there can be something comforting about a gym routine. Like I come back and I do that and it gives me a bit of soothing and, and I go through a process and it's done. And so maybe like what you're clocking into there, George, or, or what part of your brain is activating off is saying, actually, like this has been a big deal. Moving has probably been quite a stressful thing to do. Um, getting there and then getting yourself sorted and working yourself out socially and getting your roots and all of that um who wouldn't want to feel some like certainty security getting back to a familiar old thing and it's that bit about probing behind right I'm getting the the compulsion to do it that's probably telling me there's something else that's unsettled what is that thing how can I connect up with that and what are my other options for taking responsibility for that you know my brain is is saying help me out with this so what else can I do that that isn't the thing that I know ends up in being a problem and you know so it's it's whether you can turn that that signal into right I've got the signal but I don't want to do that thing but I do want to do something about it and what else can I do about it 
Yeah, and I, I'm, I was, I'm, I'm getting better at recognizing. Like at least I, I think I've, I'm at a place now where every time I get an urge to exercise, I've, I've now kind of trained into myself to, to think about why. Um, and right. some, sometimes it is just like you know, I haven't for a while. You know, that, that's one thing I've, I, you know, I've, I've been speaking with um, about with my, my partner that, you know, there was I've, I had a really shit time um over christmas and new year and i think we'll be, yeah. i actually told you about it via yeah you, know, you did yeah um, <laughs> apologize for that no no um, not but, at all um you yeah, had a really really bad time and um I, I think one one aspect of that and the thing that you know i spoke to my partner about is that is that you know, i've i've done i've done exercise at least like f- at least five times a day five times a, a week um since I was like 15 or maybe even 14 and I'm mm. 25 now. So, you know, like I've done 10 to 11 years of, of exercising like a lot. And then all of a sudden I'm not exercising. And, you know, I've, I've been going through all these periods of like just not being able to exercise because the gyms have been closed or for whatever. And over Christmas, my, my local gym was closed as well. Um, and I get, I kept like saying, you know, I wish I was like, I wish I was recovered to the point where it wouldn't bother me. But, you know, I think there's also an aspect of, you know, I'm just, that's such, been such an integral part of my life for so long. I think it's okay to just miss it a bit sometimes. Yeah, and yeah, and that's yeah. that's okay. And if I get a bit sad about not exercising, that's probably fine because you know, maybe I do just, I just, it's something that you know, I like doing it. I, you know, I, I did my master's degree in, in sport nutrition and, and you know, so I'm, I'm, I know about it and I've been interested in it in a long time. Mm. Um, so, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe that's a, a part of it um but yeah I've gone off on tangent here I really I really oh go on no no I I think it's a good point though George and 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 it's helpful that you've kind of shared that because I think it it exposes some of these difficulties around definitions and Mm. and trying to think you know is one person's exercise addiction another person's I just really like exercise Mm. but you know where where is where is the borderline and and kind of who's to say And, and I think a lot of that is in the eye of the beholder and mm. and you just as as someone who's done that for 10 years being able to be honest enough with yourself to be able to differentiate between i i actually really want to go and do this right now versus i think i should mm. and and just being able to tease them apart a bit and there'll be some days where that's more apparent than others and there'll be other days where you're like i don't know it's both yeah yeah i, I don't know um and that's and that's okay you know a lot of things in life aren't completely clear cut uh and and our brains are <laughs> confusing and confused a lot of the time and mm. and that's you know it's just then making in a sensible way the best decision at any point in time yeah um, but i do i do think in this field trying to to pin down quote unquote diagnostic terms or anything like that is just a real challenge um and and i it, it does also throw up a question of is is it useful to try and pin down definitions we we like definitions about things, oh but- oh you've opened up a can of worms here like i this, know yeah. i know i thought we've hit the hour mark yeah 
shall I just open up like a really big thing here? I, uh, I, I, this is something that I'm interested in your thoughts on this. It's something, again, I've been, I, Hannah, Hannah from Fuller Beach is like my best mate. So I speak to her about stuff. We speak about this kind of stuff all the time, but something mm-hmm. I've been questioning recently because I'm going to be doing my PhD soon. And I've been thinking about all this stuff and um, is the, the idea of um, authenticity and as a society, we're pushing more and more about being authentic to who you are and being authentic to how you feel and, and all that stuff. And uh, obviously, it's fantastic. And I, but I think it also raises some challenges in the sense that, like, how do you like all my fears around exercise and my body and things? Are they who I how, how am I to say they're not who I truly am? Um, and how am I supposed to how am I supposed to differentiate between something being the a real thing that I'm supposed to acknowledge and accept and be okay with and it be healthy. Um, because you, you could you could say you could say, well, all negative emotion then is the thing you have to look to change. But then you're saying that a a, a, a person who isn't pathological it just never has a negative emotion. And obviously all people have negative emotions and fears. Yeah. And- so it's like where where's where like you know if we're pushing towards just being because so sorry I'm I'm kind of unraveling this but like you know often I'll say to people with exercise you know you do it for do it for fun or do it the way that you that feels good and but then where's that where's that line when where's that authentic like when is it feeling good and when is it too much and and are you supposed to push to the point where like. like does this make sense? Like there's this mystical idea of, of what's authentic to us. And it, and it, but I do think, I think for true authenticity, you need some barriers. You need like lines there to say like, this is, this is a sad emotion or this is a good emotion and this is a bad emotion or, um, you know, and I think maybe you, maybe there, there, we do have to put some kind of limiters on what is exercise, what is an exercise issue. We have to have a, a line, otherwise, like how, how, how does anyone ever know what, what when, where it's a problem and when it's not? Because otherwise, it's just chaos. It's just it could be anything. Well, maybe that, maybe well, that's well, good. Maybe it is chaos, and um, and maybe that's our human tendency to want to put barriers on things that we find. It difficult to accept but maybe we can't explain them and that's you know that's just a very natural human tendency I would feel if I'm aware we're going to go down a social construction rabbit hole here but um <laughs> that so coming back to your first bit there about um individuality and the kind of you do you idea um which as you say, is great and can be really empowering. It does slightly miss the point that all of us are also part of a society and various cultures, and we're not just completely hermetically sealed units that wander around and just do us without any notions or beliefs that are taken in from the world around us as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, our belief systems more broadly about what exercise is and its functions and its healthy forms is changing all the time Mm. you know this this becomes a bit of the pinning spaghetti to the wall if we if we went back 30 years 40 years people were not engaging with exercise in the way that we do now people just didn't live like this there weren't great swathes of people who would be like right I'm done at work I'm going to a spin class 
you know, that's just not a thing. Um, these machines don't exist. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just not part of who we are and how we think about exercise. Now it is, and that's the environment that we're in. But it's a, it's a moving environment. I don't think, you know, there isn't like, as, as well as that all moving, there isn't like a standard human around whom you can, you can just say completely blanket, <laughs> this is the right amount of exercise. And yeah, we do have all the like, whatever it is, 150 minutes of this a week kind of guidance. The space from really, like, is so, such a broad guideline and, mm. and it is based on the, the kind of like broadest ideas of, of the most averagest of people. But I don't know whether that exists or not is a different debate. But I think all of that kind of indicates that then trying to put any boundaries on what's problematic exercise is just kind of doomed to fail. Mm. And and I think it is much more about as you grow and become more and more an honest expert on yourself and being able to just listen to what your body is letting you know as it changes over time and to really have that reflective stance on what's going on in my head then you can work out more of the time than less when what decision I'm making around exercise is because mm. I genuinely want to do it. It's for a useful purpose or the doctor that I've just been to see has told me that I have to do this exercise. So really I probably better do it, even though I would rather hide under my duvet versus I am doing this because I feel I should do. I feel I have to, I feel I must do whatever it might be or I need to do it to alleviate some anxiety. So maybe, and, maybe I'm just thinking that li listening to you, then maybe, so what I was thinking originally was like a top-down approach and like the, the you know, people, we need to come up with some kind of, some kind of like way of, of putting these things into boxes, but in a way that's kinder. Um, and then people can, then people can be put into those boxes to receive help and to do the right thing and like to help themselves or whatever. But maybe, maybe actually what we need to be doing is a bottom-up approach, which is, pushing more people to um work on mindfulness and understanding their own self and you know going to therapy and doing these having these kind of philosophical thoughts with themselves so that then they can place i don't want to use the word barriers but you know they can then say oh this isn't a this isn't a good amount of exercise you know, i recognize in myself that if i'm being honest with myself that i'm doing this out of fear or i'm doing this because it's a need rather than a want um, so maybe, yeah. maybe that's maybe that's the answer. In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. Because the flip side to that is that does require that reflective capacity and acknowledgement of what your body's telling you. And if you're in the grips of dependency on something, they are yeah, probably the last skills that. That you're going to want to engage. <laughs> yeah. So it also makes it very difficult to do anything like setting up services to help people mm. you know you know what does that look like how, yeah. how yeah. do you how do you advertise yourself or get information out there if you're saying well basically if you if you think you've got a bad relationship with exercise then you might want to come and do something about that can't quite tell you what that thing might be because it kind of depends what your problem is so Maybe, maybe come along to our service. Don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, it, 
it makes it very difficult from that end of things mm. to help people. The movie's a bit and of both. I know, then, I know is... you and I are, have just sort of been engaged with um, mind mm. looking at this and thinking about, you know, how do we approach this and how do we get information out to people? And, and I, I think it is hugely complicated. Mm. Um, I think there are pockets within mental health services where um, exercise overlaps with other difficulties that are going on and and helping people with that becomes part of a broader piece of work so that may be people struggling with anxiety and recognizing that they're dealing with it by using exercise it it may be people like in in my field who are coming in with an eating disorder and you can see that exercise is a prominent part of that being presented um, that relies on the clinicians involved asking the questions being open-minded to thinking about exercise and getting it on the agenda and and being aware of that and certainly in my field that is something that people are aware of and think quite yep. a lot about but it isn't necessarily more broadly speaking in other areas and and it may be that people are asked more a spec question about are you engaging in exercise at all as a mm. Are you, are you at least doing this to look after your well-being and, and not thinking about there might be a flip side to that or, yeah. or just being tuned into it a bit more? So coming back to, to that kind of like top-down, bottom-up, my clinical kind of instinct on it is it feels more like a bottom-up self-owned identification issue, but I recognise that on a broader level if you only approach it that way that that does leave a lot of problems that are difficult mm. to solve yeah so it's, i think like like most things it's a bit of both isn't it you you kind of yeah. have to tackle from all angles in order to to get everyone and but, but it's, it's, it's the problem isn't it because you you want both from bottom up and top down but it also in in some ways they counter each other because you know you're yeah. you're telling people to be more fluid but then you're also putting them in boxes yeah. um and it, so it's it this is why it's eternally difficult to do i suppose isn't it and um I, I, oh good but, luck with your phd john yeah thank you thank you and um, the fear is starting to set in uh, i don't start <laughs> until october so i can i can put it off until then um quick question have you got a time you need to go quickly or have you got much left i've got a little bit more time left okay so i've got i've got left. one other thing i want to bring us to before i go on to the final few questions um sure. you you were talking about the um it, how it's interesting that the gym in the gym people in, in mike trot study was a higher percentage than athletes and you were talking about the environment yeah. of the gym and i have a theory of, of the, obviously I, I doubt it encompasses everyone but i think it's an, an aspect of the reason why that is um there's a paper by i think her name's hannah Stoyle, um and I, I, the reason i know this paper is because um russell Den, denderfield or delderfield i always forget how to pronounce yeah, his yeah. last name um is in the study and i've had russell on the podcast and he's Show yeah. history. Um, and they they basically looked at athletes and they concluded um that in the you know the the triite model for eating disorders how it mentions about society they said that really in athletes it's not so much society because their social circle gets so gets smaller and smaller and smaller over time as they start to ignore they start to people who don't agree with their their disordered eating or disordered exercise behaviors they just start to ignore them and not be friends with them and push yeah. them away more and more and become smaller and smaller in their community 
Um, and and that's why actually societal stuff isn't that important because it's more social and, that, and that's what gets them ingrained into it and that's what makes it an issue. I think in, in the gym community, I think it's worse because if you get in a smaller and smaller group in, in um, sports, you've still got performance and you've still got the idea of these other goals other than the way your body looks. But the fitness world and the gym world is so honed on the way your physique looks and there are certain um subcategories in like powerlifting and strongman and stuff where there is around strength and around performance but the average gym go it's about making your body look a certain way and you know my phd i'm looking into men with muscularity oriented issues around this idea of being bigger and being more muscular i mm-hmm. think potentially you know, people are getting into these smaller and smaller and smaller groups and in that you know this if you get into a small enough group in the bodybuilding or exercise world in gym world your everything is around the way you look and we know that those, those connections with weight and shape concern link to disordered eating in, in different ways. And the, yes. the, so I, I think a reason why the, the gym seems to be more prevalent than in athletes is one of those is partly that. What do you think of that? Hmm. So, I mean, I would preface this massively by saying I've uh, not ever knowingly shared a social space with a professional athlete um except i did end up in a lift once with david beckham but i don't think that counts in this in this did you say anything cool to him did you say anything oh no no (laughs) um but um so i i would put that as a caveat that you know and also my professional world doesn't doesn't encounter a lot of professional athletes yeah um i Think, I think there'd be quite a lot of similarities between those two patterns that you're talking about, because I think there's there's a, a tendency or, or there's the potential in both scenarios for the social world to shrink, but be in, in both circumstances to, to be surrounded by potentially reinforcing people. Yeah. Um, and... That may be slightly different in, in athletes, particularly at the more professional end, if they have other people around them whose job it is to make sure that they don't completely disappear down the rabbit hole and that they are looking at them in a more holistic sense. Mm. Um, I think also in sport, to come to the thing you were saying about that kind of just the, the um, body physique stuff, you know, there will come a time with different sports where if you're pursuing that, it may come at the detriment of your performance. And so you will have reasons to kind of step back from it. Mm. Um, I I think that the question about the the sort of like the, the gym groupings kind of, obviously that's not going to affect everyone who goes to the gym and what yeah. they go to the gym for. Um, but like it's like it's like being at comprehensive school again isn't it you know you are going to get clusters of people who come together and some people on the outside of that are going to go that lot are a group of whatever uh what a bunch of idiots don't want to hang out with them um but but you do have the potential for for that to on body image um, and I think the the gym environment is 
probably a bit of an odd one in terms of sport. There's not a lot of the kind of sports that you do. There are some, but there aren't lots where you're performing in front of a mirror a lot of the time. There aren't a lot of other sporting environments I can think of, genuinely, where you're wandering around with your phone, taking pictures of yourself and and thinking all the time about your image and what you're doing with that. And I think the gym environment plus social media and phones has become a slightly different thing to this Mm. parallel universe where there's a gym environment without that going on. And, and I think that's created an added bit to this kind of drive around it becoming very image focused Mm. because that all gets tangled up in it. You know, you've, you've never seen someone rowing in an eight or driving an F1 car with their phone out. Yeah. Yeah. Look like, like it's just, it's not part of it. Um, And when you when you tie that in, I know this is going to be true in sport as well. You are thinking about different kind of metrics and monitoring and tracking. If you're an elite sports person, you're engaging with that to think about increasing your performance towards a goal or a competition, and and kind of looking for any little wiggle room to improve that performance to an end with the gym there isn't like no end there's Mm. there's no end point to that there's there's just more goals and more targets and at the same time there's more bits of tech to monitor more and more bits of what we do um there's not much you can do in the gym without it having some kind of measurement attached to it or or you know if you're more on the cardio side and machine telling you all sorts of bits Mm. of data and probably the bulk of people in there have got a watch that's telling them all sorts of things about what their bodies are doing. And they all give us means of constantly monitoring ourselves and then comparing to other people and then looking at ourselves and looking at our social, like it's, it's just this sort of potential perfect storm. And I think if you are looking into that, um, there'll be a lot there for you to investigate George, that, that is different from engaging in sport as a professional athlete. And, and does mark it out as different. Um, and, and so how much some of that then accounts for the bits that, that add to that percentage difference between the, the athletes and, and the gym goers mm. um, to make it feel compulsive or make it feel dependent um, because there are all those additive factors coming into it as well. Who knows, but it feels like a plausible explanation. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, it's, 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 it's a very complicated and I don't think we know anywhere near enough about it. And that's, you know, one of the scary, yeah, (laughs) it's one of the, it's scary, but also very exciting thing about what I'm doing is that there is, there isn't very much and it's, but it's just like figuring out how, how to tackle it. Um, And that's not even mentioning, you know, there's other parts of it. And the, the, the the subgroup that I am really, really interested in are, um, the the group that I was in, which was people who were who were in that kind of gap between sport and fitness, where you're really you're obsessed with bodybuilding, 
and you're you're you may not even compete like people a lot of people don't even compete in bodybuilding but they live the lifestyle of a professional bodybuilder in the sense that you know i never took steroids but you know you take steroids you train every day you're constantly reading and watching videos of bodybuilders and learning different exercises and different ways of doing exercises and obsessing over how long all these different things um and you know there's there's this really interesting link that's been shown of uh, like my, like what I've experienced in um, a masculine discrepancy with um, linking to these things. So so the, the met most of these studies are done on men, and there are some mm. studies done on women as well, where it's it, the the kind of it seems slightly different. But I can I can touch on that later. But um, these men seem to have they're they're brought up or for whatever reason they they have an image of what a man should be or what is masculine let's say i mean mm-hmm. masculinity can be for men or women but you know, what masculinity should be and um, what they should go like be obtaining and then whatever happens in their childhood or as they grow up they they accept or internalize that they're not that so they're away from that and then they take on muscle building behaviors and this this ideology of being man a way of being manly is being hardworking, enduring a lot of pain and taking up space. So I'm just going to go to the yeah. gym and work really hard, endure a load of pain and get massive. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and therefore I'll be manly. Um, and then you also then adopt you uh, naturally, like you say, you know, we all want to be in groups. So, you know, everyone kind of find, like in school, you kind of find a group. Um, if you're getting into m- building muscle, the fitness community is your, is the place you're going to turn to, to be, to be a group. Um, and the values of the fitness community, which is so interesting, almost identically align with the, the, the highlighted values of masculinity of like this hegemonic masculine ideal, which is work really hard endure a lot of pain and like build on size and there's also really interesting um you know in in the kind of masculinity research there's this idea of normative alexithymia which you you may know but for people who don't know at home um this is this like learned misunderstanding of emotions or ignorance of emotions like not you're not being able to explain what emotions are and in the film in the fitness community there's this, this idea of that's been highlighted called battling the self which is that your mind and body will tell you you're supposed to stop that you should stop, but you you're it's your responsibility as a fitness person to push through that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And how that like that almost perfectly aligns with that alexithymia. Like you're 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 going to come up with these emo- your emotions are going to happen, but it's your job to ignore them, ignore them. and push. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost like this perfect storm. And then you know this this normative alexithymia and 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 all this stuff in 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 men is also really you know, the, we know that men commit suicide at a much higher rate than than women um and i think there's a real big link there of you know how are men supposed to know when it gets to the point where they're they're that bad how are they supposed to know if they're supposed to push through that or if they're supposed to reach out and get help Mm. um and i think i think so much of this can tie in and that you there's there's been cases of bodybuilders and stuff um you're committing suicide and 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 you know it's it's yeah, I think it's it's a really important group that's just ignored. And I think a reason they're ignored is because we see them as um, arrogant, like for themselves, cocky people. So why would we care? Or we just see them as they must be fine because look at them, they've got big arms and abs. Um, do you think and- it's just that? Or do you think also it, it's, it is that one of the things about following that route is you do become disconnected from other people and it does make it, it creates like the gap between you and others that it's very difficult for other people to reach across mm. and 
it can, you know, if if you're kind of shutting down your emotional cues, you're not going to engage socially and other people just won't know how to get back to you mm. and connect up with you again. I, I, I do. I agree with that. Um, in the sense that like the, the conversations won't happen and that's another uh, issue. Um, but I think that you know, we haven't, you know, there's lots of groups that do like eating disorders that you know, tend to pull themselves away from, yeah. from society, but we still research them and we have an understanding of them. Um, but this, this, this subgroup of people, it's not just the men, it's the women as well. Um, you know, like I said, there are some studies that it's interesting with, with, the life course analysis of women who have really high drive for muscle um, mm. instead of it being some kind of discrepancy of masculinity it tends to be an attempt to create some form of ontological security so like understand like um, for people who don't know like categorizing yourself in the world so you know you you don't yeah, know who you are yeah so yeah. yeah so i'll be i'll be the woman that goes against the body image like ideals that a society puts on women i'll be the big strong woman um so it's, in, it's interesting yeah there, there are these different relationships and i'd love to research into that as well i, I don't know if i'll have enough time on my phd but maybe in the future but um yeah. You're just going to end up doing like 10 PhDs, George. That's I hope so. You're just going to be the ceaseless academic. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Going. Honestly, if, if I could do this for the rest of my life and just like, if someone would just get like, pay me just to research this stuff for the rest of my life, I would just do it. I, I like, I love it. And I find it so interesting. Um, and I know how shit it is. Like, I know what it's like, like, you know, as you do, I know how absolutely, I know like from recently, like, from Christmas and New Year's, how shit it is to have the struggles. I still do have struggles with the masculinity and not feeling like manly enough. Um, and, and, you know, and that's, it. yeah, I think, I think it's, you know, if a guy is struggling with masculinity, it's often like, like oh, like fucking boohoo, like who gives, who gives a shit about that. Um, but I know how horrible it is. Um and I, 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 yeah. Um, I, I think you know. I think we are starting to have a more grown-up dialogue about that, mm. and and certainly more conversations about it. Yeah. Um, which which I think is a, is a great thing, but that is also down to people like you who are, I suppose, to some degree, like putting your head above the parapet, but but also making, um more of it than that and you know you're now investing yourself in in doing active research to give a proper underpinning to our understanding about these issues mm. um, and using your your experience and your and your passion to do something really good in the world which is you know fair play to you because because although having these experiences can be a really big driver it it takes a lot of strength to keep coming to keep putting yourself in a position where you're having to confront all your own issues all the time yeah um so, so fair play to you for doing that no oh, thank you thank you um yeah it is it is really hard but i i also kind of secretly love it like i i've i've i think i've become um i don't, I don't want to say the word addicted um but yeah i think i've become addicted to like self-exploration um and like as soon as i started reading into f philosophy and and like you know working on mindfulness and things i i love finding out something out something about myself that i didn't know even if it's bad like even if it's something that i don't like i feel uncomfortable about i love finding it out because I've, I've you know what as well i've i love being honest 
Um, and I think I'm too, I think, you know, sometimes, well, you know, I think people would say I'm too honest to the fact that, you know, I'll, if I'm in a meeting with my manager, I'll like, and they ask me how I am, I'll say, I'll, you know, I'll say how I am, even if it's yeah. really shit. Um, and yeah, but I think people like, I think people like it and I'm kind of addicted to that, that freedom of, I don't have to like, I don't know, my whole life I've just lied and like tried to just say I was okay and, and cover it up. And I'm so, you know, and I still have the tent, I still have like, especially in this new environment and stuff, you know, people ask me questions. I, part of me wants to say I'm okay and like big up who I am and what I'm doing and stuff. But you know, the more I force myself to just genuinely just be honest and like really fucking honest and just, I, I just feel so much more free and so mm. much better. And I think it gives other people the opportunity, like, like you being so honest today about the thing that you feel ashamed of the, with the car crash and stuff like that gives me the, it, like, it makes me feel comfortable, like sharing stuff that I, I feel uncomfortable talking about. And I think mm. that, that's, that's such a beautiful thing. Um, and I, yeah, I guess a, a part of me hopes that researching into these, these men who have, who, who are struggling with this stuff, um, hopefully I can have some kind of impact on that and, and help these people discover discover this yeah I think that'd be really cool and if you've if you spent that long George sort of keeping stuff under wraps and then you go through the discovery of if I am honest the world doesn't fall apart and people don't actually think any less of me mm. no wonder it then becomes hey I'm gonna try this again <laughs> that's great and I've spent ages pretending that uh I don't feel how I feel and and it's it's a lovely thing once you can get to that point of uh, actually the world accepts me if Mm. I'm just me yeah you know do more of it so uh more power to you keep doing it (laughs) and you too thank you for thank you for sharing today like I I really appreciate that um and okay I'm 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 aware of time and I don't want to keep you too long so it's time it's that time for the devil's advocate it's the devil's advocate (laughs) yes okay so for the people who don't know at home the devil's advocate is a question I've brought in um it's not even that recent anymore but I often um in podcasts I just agree with the person I'm speaking to and I just kind of ask questions in like a in it kind of like we were today I suppose we've been a bit more debatey we've had some some like differing opinions on things but um often it's a lot of like yes I agree yes I agree yes I agree so I brought in this question to ask something a little bit controversial so today's devil advocate is um there's a plethora of research that clearly shows the positive mental health responses to exercise. So why would psychologists try to stop that? So I have to undermine your question almost from the off about uh, the, the idea that psychologists would try and stop exercise. I feel that there are, a limited number of circumstances in which a psychologist would be having a conversation with someone about their use of exercise and thinking about where it's problematic and having a discussion with someone about their feelings about that. Psychologists don't sit around telling people 
you're not allowed to do this thing. Firstly, because we don't have that kind of power, <laughs> which is probably a very good thing. Um, un unless in really extreme circumstances, if, if someone had been sectioned under the Mental Health Act, that does change where those parameters are. Um, but psychologists are not sat there trying to stop people from exercising. You know, a psychologist is working with someone to try and help them to get back to a place of psychological and, and oftentimes physical well-being. Um, if so, like in my field of work, you know, sometimes I will be working with people who are really poorly with anorexia yep. and are still trying to go to the gym or trying to do a lot of exercise alongside that. And you do have to have a fairly frank conversation with people that's a bit about um, education and looking at the, the health facts of what is going on in their bodies because they are in a starved state and the risks that come with doing exercise on that, both the kind of short-term stuff, but the longer-term stuff as well. And trying to think sensibly with people about, you know, if you're in that state, but you are also really dependent on exercise. And if we, if I was to say to you today, you've just got to stop exercise, you know that you're also going to pretty much stop eating. Mm. Like that's, that's not a helpful road. To, you know, we, so we have to think about all of these things gently in that kind of field that I work in. More broadly, as psychologists, we're not trying to stop people from exercising at all. Again, it's about people having a sensible relationship with exercise. Exercise can have a really good place for people. It's something we're probably actively encouraging people who are struggling with depression, for example, who have gone really into a withdrawn state, um, who are finding it difficult to get motivated. And that might be part of kind of a bit of work around behavioral activation, actually just getting people doing things can be part of the driving motive to move things forward emotionally or in their thoughts. Um, so we might do a bit more work around something like that. Um, I think this comes down to some of what we talked about earlier. It's about those nuances about a relationship with exercise. And um, it's, it's recognising that exercise is not just a panacea or or is totally in a positive direction um and i'm being aware that the individual that you're speaking to just needs that appraised on an individual level but like most things in life and exercise falls into this just telling someone to they have to do something it's just generally not a not a helpful thing to do and that includes having to stop exercise it includes also having to do it you know mm. And if someone's going to have a healthy relationship with exercise and have it fit in with their well-being, it needs to be something that they come to largely through working it out themselves. And as a psychologist, you're, you're often just sat alongside someone, helping them to learn some things, giving them a different perspective, helping them to test out what they do if they do this, what happens if they do that. Um, but it's not hard and fast instructional in any way. Um, so I think I think it's yeah I, I can see why you'd want to ask the question but my my job has never ever been to just say to someone you have to just 
stop exercising. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a far more nuanced discussion. Um, and and it, it really should be. Um, and but I think coming back to a point I made earlier, I do think thinking about exercise and physical activity is probably something that people working in mental health services not only need to like have on their radar, but also think about it not as a unidirectional thing. So it's not, you know, I've asked about exercise, you do exercise, that's a good thing. Mm. It's, it's what's going on with that exercise, how are you relating to it, and just having a bit more of a nuanced discussion with someone and getting that on the agenda. Because I do think ultimately exercise is becoming more and more part of our lives and, and, and therefore will become more part of our mental health as time goes on. Um, so I would say it's not about whether psychologists want to stop or start someone with exercise. I think it's more about psychologists and other people working in mental health professions having that space to, to bring up exercise engagement with sport and, and engage in a might be short, but a, a sensible conversation about that. Perfect. Amazing answer. Thank you. <laughs> um, I think I think when when I when I write the questions as a devil's advocate, I try to kind of put myself into the mind frame of someone who um is like angry at my guest. <laughs> That's kind of what I try and think of is like yep. some so, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. so I tend to I tend to I mean, I just kind of, I was questioning it as you were answering um, whether that's the correct way, because like, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm straw manning you when I, when I ask that question, because I'm saying that you therefore want to stop people exercising yeah. by saying that. Um, when I knew, I know that you the, know that you don't do that, but yeah. And um, thank you so much for, for answering that. Fantastic no, no, that's answer. all right. That's um, all right. And okay, because um, I'm conscious of time, I am going to move us on to what I'm now just going to be going with as the final three. Um, yes. Before I, I would always say the final three questions, but I've said it multiple times on people who they're listen. Not questions, they're, not they're not questions. They're not questions. <laughs> <laughs> a listener, a listener. I can tell. Um, okay, the first one is: name a person, either real or fictional, who inspires you. You, you have, well, I'm glad we've had the conversation about being honest, because this could be interpreted as a really cheesy answer, but it's totally <laughs> honest. So the the person um, who inspires me, it's very real, um, is David McDonald, my husband. Um, aside, aside from the fact that he has had to shepherd me through all of the stuff that I talked about at the top end of this podcast, and has been incredibly brave in doing that um and has also i i really admire him as someone who dealt with that by never becoming my parent mm. and taking responsibility for any of that but as very much my companion through life but always kind of saying you know that at the end of the day, like the responsibility for these things is yours, you know, and, and you've got to work that out. Um, not being mean, just being honest. Um, but um, he's, <laughs> he's just someone, he's also a clinician. Um, and um, he is just one of the, the fairest people in the world with a really strong moral compass. 
and he has had to go through quite a few things in his professional life where he's had to sort of hold the line for what's morally right um and I have great admiration for anyone who does that in any Mm. walk of life where it's very easy to either get pushed around by other people or or made shut up or it just feels like the fight is just hard work and and sometimes it would just be easier in so many ways to just back away but and there's lots of fights in life where you should back down because you're not morally right or you're just being stubborn or whatever it would be but when you know that you've picked this cause because it is about in in you know his kind of work health inequalities making sure that people can access care that they need um and not seeing that happening and, and knowing that you're working towards that to watch someone kind of stick up for that and and see them do that day in day out it's kind of hard not to be inspired by that really so it is really cheesy but it's it's also absolutely true yeah well, i think i think we can let you off for the cheesiness because he, he sounds like an amazing person <laughs> yes. um okay number two is name a phase of your life that you didn't like at the time but looking back you know that positives came from it I feel, because I've heard several of your podcasts, I feel like most people you ask this to have the same response, which is, take your pick. Because <laughs> um, most of life, when you look back at it, is a, is a catalogue of awful decisions and hideous things. And obviously, we're all really bad at our retrospects glasses, and they're the things that leap out to us always when we look back. Mm. Um, so I, because I, I knew I was going to be asked this. Um I I will say there was a period of my life um, between February and June in 2015. Um, I picked that out. It's very specific because that was the exact period of my life where I had decided um, because my life felt pretty terrible um, that... um, I, at that period of my life, was not prepared to concede that the thing that was making it terrible was my restrictive eating disorder. So it was everything else. And I changed everything else in my life. And I got around. And the final thing that I still had to change was actually, I'm going to jack in being a clinical psychologist. And I'm going to go and sell wine because that's wow. what I'm going to go and do uh, because it's the job that's the problem. It's not me and it's not the restrictive eating disorder. Mm. And I started working for a wine company in February of 2015. And about three days after that, uh, realized I'd made a huge mistake. Um, and it was nothing to do with the job. And actually, <laughs> the job I'd now walked into was really not good. Um, I spent the next four months very distressed because when you walk away from a profession that's very different from just walking away from a job Mm. and fighting my way to try and get back into some kind of professional role. Um, I was very much out of kilter then with kind of things socially because wine selling hours are very different to normal social hours. Um, I, I, I just felt like I just lost everything. Mm. 
And that was the thing that stopped me from restricting. And that was the period in my life where I really just went full on, head on in, probably the way that we don't advise people to do it, uh, going, I'm not doing this anymore. And that it was a horrible period of my life in a lot of ways. Um, but it, it was the period of my life when I look back where I think, I'm not sure now, none of us know uh, with any of these things, but I'm not sure if I hadn't done that, how much longer it would have gone on for. Mm -hmm. So it was awful, uh, but I can absolutely see the positives that came out of it. So I do have some gratitude for it in a way. Mm, amazing. Yeah. And I, I like that. Yeah. There was that, those four months where you genuinely just thought you'd like, lost everything and absolutely yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it's uh, so it's so nice to because it's obviously not a nice thing to hear but it's nice to hear that there are other like it, i think it's always nice to hear that other people go through and that's why it's always one of my favorite questions in the pod is because it's so nice to hear that you know even all these really successful and amazing people that go on this podcast go through moments where they're like like fuck like it's like i'm out it's over like my life's over and totally, then totally yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, in that period of time, I applied for several jobs to try and get back in, got turned down for them, couldn't yeah. get back in and, and was just absolutely, you know, I'm, I'm done. I'm absolutely done. Um, and. But sometimes you need something like that to to, you know, part of my life fell apart, but that's what got another part of my life back together. And. um and, and I think most, you know, most people are going to look back and have times in their life where, where they can recognise that. And, mm. um, and I think it is useful to share those. I think, I think there are great numbers of podcasts where people are talking about their failures, kind of making them into to what they are now. But I think it's, it is good stuff to share, you know. Mm. And um, I, I think most sort of professional people I admire or respect um, have had missteps, things that have gone completely wrong. It is just part of life. It's it's what you make out of it. I think that's the important bit. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Um, and the third and final question, or not question, um, <laughs> name a phrase to live by. So I also knew this was coming and, and it would not be right, George, if I wasn't going to try and be a contrarian at some point. <laughs> I... <laughs> I um, I'm not a fan of this not question question uh, <laughs> because I think um, these things change over time and, and what we used to inspire us one day just doesn't fit for us two years mm. down the line or whatever. So anything to kind of live by, I think, is a bit problematic. What I would suggest is some phrases to definitely not live by <laughs> anyone anyone who's been sat in a therapy room with me at any point in time um will know that i have a limitless hatred of things that start with i should i must i ought mm. um and and that i'm also a real shark for 
people who regularly use the phrase, yes, but, and that, that inability to accept things can be okay can get really cemented because you continually use that phrase and you mm. get so used to saying it that you, you believe there's always a but and, and you kind of become a bit of an Eeyore about things. So I always try and encourage people to listen out for the words that are coming out of their mouth and spot or, or listen out to their thoughts. And, and when those I should, I must, I ought, or the yes buts are coming in is, is to press the pause button, check in with what's coming out here and, and really go back and rethink that. Mm. So, so some phrases not to live by. Amazing. That's the first, very there much a first. <laughs> um, but no, I, re- I do appreciate that. Um, and I guess when when I when I put that those questions in, I, sort of first, I didn't think about it that much. But um, I guess I am accepting the fact that I I don't I don't actually think people should be living their entire life by one yeah, phrase. I, I'm not supposing um, for one second. That no, I, I know, but I'm just just for people just for people listening at home, I suppose. Um, I, I I suppose like my idea was that with these final three would be that we it would become a collection of inspiring people um proof that shit can go wrong and it's okay and also like cool ways to live your life or like cool things to, to add yes, into your life yeah, yeah. um and i think listen listen to some of your podcasts you you have had on some really cool people mm. who, who do have those inspiring things to say yeah and and, and it's quite See, see, I've now undermined myself. It's like it's quite a nice way to end the podcast. <laughs> like you've left with this thing, and now I've done the the fatal error of not doing. That. <laughs> never mind. It's all no, right. you, I know. I you. I think you've you've made a like your phrase. Your your phrase is not to live by is a, is a great one to add to the collection. Like no one's ever done that, and I, yeah, I think they. I think they added. You know, there's there's a, this whole. It's like there was a trap door under the collection of phrases to live by that we didn't realize was there, and you've just opened and off and shown. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Maybe I'll even add a little bit to phrase two or phrase not to live. No, actually, I think I'll, I'll leave it as your thing. It's your thing. Maybe All right, we'll nice steal one. it in the future, but it'll be your thing for now. Um, <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much for coming. Oh, on the it's podcast. been a pleasure, George. Thank you, thank you. Uh, thank yeah, honestly, thank you so so much, and and for everyone listening at home. Um, once again thank you so much for listening all the way through and i hope to see you at the next one bye thank you so much for listening to that episode here at my minds we're trying to raise awareness for all the things that we speak about in this podcast so please if you can give it a share each and every one of you has the potential to help us with that also if you want to check out myminds.com please do You can see all our social media things on there and we'd love to have you contributing more as a part of our community. Thank you.